1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the 8th day of November, 2022, Election Day in the United States. Um, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, so I'd like to invite you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And as always, we like to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for this week, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Gold Bull Resources, El Oro Resources, Rena Gold Mining, and Timberline Resources. Today, gold and silver are having one of the best days in many months. Gold has been up over $40 earlier in the day and silver had been nearly almost 4% higher at one point in time. Both have come off a little bit now. I'm not sure what might be triggering uh, this dramatic rise in the precious metals, but there was an article that I read on Bill Murphy's La Metropole Cafe this morning that may have something to do with it. The article was written by Carlisle Kane. Of the Equidia, Equidia letter on November sixth, and it suggests some of the views of people like Jim Rickers and Alastair McCloud, who are frequently on this show, um, regarding the demise of the U.S. dollars may actually be starting to unfold. I'm not sure that that's true, but there seems to be uh, a hint of that in this article. And here are uh, here is how the article starts out: the first uh, the first few lines of it. Last month, China made the world's first cross-border transaction in digital currency. But it wasn't just some sort of crypto Bitcoin retail transaction. It was part of the digital yuan test, simulating direct transactions between China and its partner without dollar-denominated correspondent banking. In fact, after China's successful test, Russia announced it would begin test using the digital ruble and yuan to settle transactions with China. Is this the beginning of a new commodity-backed reserve currency that the largest non-Western countries have already pledged to launch this year? I'll tell you in just a moment, he says, he goes on and, and uh, with some other ideas in the meantime, but he says, let's look at how the first, uh, let's look at how far the digital yuan has come and how China plans to use it against the dollar. In 2020, China became the first country to roll out the central bank digital currency domestically. In April, the People's Bank of China launched a beta test for the digital yuan um, applied in four small cities. Later, the beta app was officially launched uh, for iOS and Android in Chinese app stores. Today, the e yuan. Trial program covers 23 cities, including Beijing, Shanghai, and Tianjin. And last month, the People's Bank of China pledged to expand it to Guangdong, Shiyong, and Hebei and um, Jin uh, and Jiangsu provinces. These aren't just small, random cities. They are four whole provinces that make up 350 million people, one fourth of the Chinese population. After extensive testing, the People's Bank of China also released the full-fledged digital yuan app, letting millions of residents sign up for the digital wallets through multiple state-owned or controlled commercial banks. But by far the most important push comes from the not-so-private private sector. Shortly after the new after the news broke, Tencent-owned WeChat, China's biggest messaging and payment platform, announced it was rolling out the digital yuan as a payment option. WeChat has a mind-boggling 1.2 billion users of which 750 million are active daily, which means coming on WeChat will expose China's uh, digital currency to half of its population and bring it closer to mainstream adoption. So it's obvious, the article went on to say, it's obvious that Tencent didn't adopt the yuan voluntarily because it directly competes with uh, Alibaba-owned Alipay and Tencent's WeChat Pay, which control 94% of mobile payments in China. It can be easily assumed that the Chinese Communist Party forced it to, which if anything signals that China is rushing to roll it out nationwide. If you think that's far-fetched, remember that Alibaba's founder, Jack Ma, disappeared for three months after he pledged to revolutionize China's financial system. But the digital yuan's utility goes way beyond its domestic use. Um, As Xi Jinping has suggested, um, never let a crisis go to waste. He has been long plotting ways to overthrow, that is to throw over the petrodollar. Uh, the, that is the US dollar, the uh, world's main, main uh, currency, reserve currency. And the Russia-Ukraine war offered him a once-in-a-lifetime chance to de-dollarize its key trading partner and Europe's fourth largest economy. After the West isolated Russia, China came to its, to its rescue by buying up its embargoed energy. In the first eight months of 2022, Russia and China traded 117 billion worth of goods, which is 30% more than a year earlier. But China's seemingly altruistic gesture was more of a Trojan horse for the Yuan than genuine political support. For one, China's been buying and energy at heavily discounted prices because Russia didn't have much of a choice. And then China forced Russia to ditch the dollar and trade oil and coal in their own currencies. Well, that's uh, really the article continues from there, but I think this is enough to give you a flavor of how things are falling into place geopolitically against the dollar, and today's move higher in gold and silver may be just the start of things to come. I'm not sure that that's attached. Today's move could have other reasons. Uh, Time will tell. One note I would just make uh, with regard to this article Uh, I'm not sure that it was so much China forcing Russia uh, to de-dollarize as it was the United States when we put sanctions on them and then would not allow them uh, to use various mechanisms for international trade. So uh, in any event, though, the world is changing. There's no doubt about that. Um, And one thing that has always been true throughout history is that gold moves to the countries that are prospering and are growing. It moves away from countries and away from regions of the world that are in decline, and so it's not surprising to see massive amounts of gold uh, flowing to the east uh, from uh, from the west. Um, with regard to today's show, I titled it, Is the Fed Resolute in This Game of Chicken? Doug Nolan and Michael Oliver return as this week's guests. Since 1971, the Federal Reserve has led America and the end, indirectly, the world to the brink of global bankruptcy. It has driven our country to the precipice of disaster, financial disaster, by issuing enormous amounts of money not backed by anything except debt, and to the extent that debt can't be paid, the dollar becomes a worthless instrument and a worthless currency. By contrast, a currency backed by a metal like gold or silver is much more stable because it has intrinsic value based on the metal itself. It is not dependent, its value is not dependent on the ability of others to pay their debts. The currency itself cannot be destroyed uh, when certain companies or individuals uh, become insolvent and are unable to pay their debts as has been increasingly more frequently taking place in the West, uh, especially in uh, later decades since we went off the gold standard. As hedge fund manager Ray Dalio pointed out, all the Western countries are now at the point where the debt is so large relative to income that, uh, that the Federal Reserve and other central banks are facing a no-win choice because to be able to attract savers to buy the government's treasuries, that is to finance the debt, especially with high rates of inflation, interest rates have to rise to levels that will most certainly break the backs of the Western economies. They cannot function at, si- at such high interest rates. Of course, the alternative is to keep printing money, much as, the Missis- as occurred in the Mississippi bubble, Uh, to keep printing money, to keep asset values like stocks and real estate and treasury bonds elevated. But in the process then, the currency itself is destroyed. Now that is the path that seems to be uh, the path that Japan is taking right now. So far, the Fed and the European central banks have not opted to print endless amounts of money in what might be considered a game of chicken, because at some point in time, If Chairman Powell at the Fed continues to hold on to the current policy, uh, we most certainly will be headed into a recession, perhaps a very deep one. Then what? Then what? What will the Fed and the European banks have to resolve to continue with a tight monetary policy when housing prices collapse, massive numbers of people become unemployed? What will they do then? Will they chicken out? That's the big question, and that's a, a question that we will be asking Doug Nolan in the second half of today's show, uh, see what his thoughts are. And uh, I think I have an idea of what Michael Oliver thinks about that, but uh, he's gonna be with me right after our commercial break. Uh, We'll ask him and uh, I'm sure he'll have something to say about today's uh, very, very strong precious metals market. Uh, We are gonna go to break now, but don't go away because uh, we will be right back with Michael Oliver. Don't go away.
1: Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast.
0: If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Michael Oliver with me once again. It's OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com. Go there to pick up on Michael's work and subscribe to it. I think you'll be very glad you did. If you're a serious investor anyway and have a, a fair amount of money in the markets, uh, it really behooves you to to check out Michael's work. He provides a little bit, a little glimpse of what he does here on this show. Uh, but if you really want to benefit from his Intellect and all his hard work. Uh, you should sign up for his uh, for his wonderful letter. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for joining me again. Hi, Jay. You know, uh, you often provide a picture of a beach ball exploding out of the water. Uh, you talk about markets that are suppressed for long periods of time. And today, when I looked at my Kitco screen and saw the explosive move, <laughs> gold up almost forty bucks, I said, "Wow, that looks like a beach ball mm-hmm. submerging that had been submerged <laughs> underwater." I know, I know, I think that a $40 move given gold's suppressed state is not anything to get extremely excited about, except those of us who have been long gold have been long suffering. So it is, it is energizing, to say the least. But what are your thoughts on gold and, of course, silver as well, which took an even larger, almost 4% up at one point today, I think. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. on the precious metals now? Um, I think that the gold and silver
3: seen their lows. Okay, that's step one. We had enough metrics across. again, not looking at price, but looking at momentum mm-hmm. uh, and, and the structural action of momentum. Uh, even back in September, that, that argued, especially that silver had seen its lows. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ratio between gold and silver has shifted favoring silver. That, it, that occurred back in September by our metrics. And usually when that shift occurs, where silver shifts from an underperformer to an outperformer, And we have ways to measure that, not just looking at the spread chart. Uh, That usually coincides with or leads a net trend upturn in the two metals Mm
1: -hmm. with silver
3: leading. Uh, Similarly, on the downside, if silver shifts to an underperformed status versus gold, uh, generally they'll both sort of come under pressure. And well, that process has been underway downside since uh, early 2021 in silver versus gold. But in September of this year, it flipped back up. So I think we're in a fresh upturn. Uh, right now, everybody, if you stand back and look at price charts, which most people do, yeah. uh, they see silver in a block of ink. It had been roughly 21 and a half lows to $30 highs, a couple of them up there, $30. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, we're 21 and a half, so we're trying to punch back up into that range, the price range. And that you know, is probably significant if you do. Uh, today's traded up there, but, you know, another 50 cents in silver, and it's back up in, inside the old back at home again, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meaning it's leaving behind what the, the residue that it left down there. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, when you look at the price chart, and you say, well, where, where's the explosion point? Where is mm-hmm. where I know silver is just going to leave the earth and go to 50 bucks and 100 bucks, $200, whatever? Um, and you see these two highs up there around 30 So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty far up there. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to wait a long time maybe, or not, not a long time maybe, but uh, a lot of prices gained between now and then before you finally say, oh, okay, now I'm, I better be fully back in. Uh-huh. We've got some numbers uh, that we specify to our subscribers. We will shortly that are based on... Long-term momentum uh, of silver, um, that shows a level roughly in the middle of that ink. It mm-hmm. doesn't look relevant on the price chart, but if you get up in there, and we've got a very specific level. Uh, if you get up above that certain level, it says you're gone. Mm-hmm. And in other words, you're not going to have to wait to get the 30 before you realize it's going to break out.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: and it, it's, it's not, we're not there yet, but it wouldn't take a lot. And I suspect we're going to see it, um. What I like especially is that the stock market, uh, when you look at all the assets, the major portfolio assets, the 60-40 stocks, bonds, you know, that kind of thing, they are all down big double digits. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you get rallies here and there, but they're, they're basically – it's been a very bad year for portfolios. Real estate, muni bonds, high-yield corporate debt, S&P, NASDAQ 100 especially, and T-bonds. All been yeah. covered. No safe place to hide. Well, right now, gold, you know, gold's down on the year down five point nine percent anybody who is a long gold only coming into the year down five point nine percent everybody else is down twenty thirty uh, percent why is that you know why people should be asking that question why is it that if the Fed is out there to pounce on inflation mm-hmm. which they p- poorly define only as commodity based inflation right which is ridiculous because uh, they printed twelve years of stock price inflation, but okay um how come it is then that the Bloomberg Commodity Index is up about 17 percent on the year and gold's only down five some odd percent? Mm-hmm. If their target is that that stuff, you know, obviously what they're doing isn't working. Well, actually, it is because what they're doing is they are breaking the inflation bubble.
2: It's right. Global, the inflation bubble. Stock that's market right. Bubble.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. The, the overvaluation is- of equities. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and. uh Unfortunately, it's past the point of, of no return now. You're not going to – even if they reverse policy, which they will, they'll have to. They'll panic at some point because too many major assets will go illiquid. They've already uh, – Yellen's already said she's very concerned that the U.S. Treasury bond market is becoming illiquid. Uh, that's the most dangerous word in markets. It's not just south wow. down, but it's illiquid because that means it's not functioning as a market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still you know every time they try to rally the bonds they just don't rally um, yeah. and it's, why, it, it's spooky for them
2: yeah well why would the Treasury market be a liquid well-functioning market when you're holding rates still way below the inflation rate so it's not surprising really um, yeah,
1: you know yeah, the,
2: and, the, the, and, and the inflation rate is probably higher than what the government numbers give us but I have to ask you Michael because you know, you mentioned the commodity, um, the Bloomberg Commodity Index is up 17%. I suppose a big part of that is oil, is petrol, is yeah, it's probably it's oil and gas. A big
3: part. Yeah, um, and um, they're doing what we basically thought they would do, um, which is to say, oh, hang in pretty high. It's a trading range, it's violent, but the problem is for the world economy, it's not whether they explode from here, it's whether they just don't go down, because mm-hmm. you're already... At very high levels uh, the mm-hmm. the kind of levels that you know choke choke things and so mm-hmm. it's not an issue of uh, you know whether oil goes to 130 again or 150 it's a matter of just it doesn't hang around 80 90 100 mm-hmm. that in itself is choking uh, natural gas has had a sharp pullback but uh, it looks like it's stabilized mm-hmm. and um, but it's still where is it it says trading 650 to seven dollars a few years ago, it was trading two, three, four, you know, so it's, it's, it's much higher, and therefore it's choking, um, mm-hmm. regardless of whether it explodes from here. Also, I'd be focused on the food commodities as uh, mm-hmm. a, a next place to be um, mm-hmm. in the commodity sector. Mm-hmm. But I re- remind your listeners that in the late 70s, I think this will be true this time, uh, gold and silver handily beat the commodity complex. Mm-hmm. So well, commodities have had a big year and a half, two years of upside here. Uh, in fact, they turned up in late 2020, way before Putin ever uh, moved on Ukraine. Right. Um, but and gold didn't. But gold already had a run from a uh, thousand and fifty bucks in early 2016, late 2015, up to twenty seventy. So it already yeah. doubled. But yep. Commodities were still in the hole. So mm-hmm. uh, it has its own life, and I think it's coming back to life again.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do you think the upside might be um, within the next uh, year or two for gold? Do you have any,
3: oh, any off ideas? The or? Off, off, off the page. I have no. The- I mean, I can, I can just tell you, I've said this before, uh, there's three prior bull markets since, since the early 70s, so the last 50 years in gold. There have mm-hmm. been seven to eight fold advances in gold. Measuring from the bear low that preceded the bull market high. Uh, three, three moves that have been seven to eight fold gains in gold. Well, mm-hmm. if we measure from 1,050 low in 2015, the bear market low, well, you do the math. $8,000? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. And if it did that, is it extraordinary? No. All it's doing is what it's done three times before. All right. And, uh, yet, interesting. We're in a far different world than we were then. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. shock me that it goes way beyond something like that.
2: Well, uh, you know, Ray Dalio and others are, are concerned that maybe they've pushed this fiat currency as far as they can push it. And if Janet Yellen is worried, really worried about uh, a lack of liquidity in the, in the most liquid market, arguably it had been, the U.S. Treasury market, the most liquid, mm-hmm. most deepest market in the world... Uh, and maybe Dalio is right. Maybe we're running to the end. You know, there are limits to everything, mm-hmm. as in physics and in economics as well. And maybe we're getting to that point. Uh, in, in fact, uh, we we're just talking a little earlier. I was just mentioning uh, that, they are, uh, that the Russians and the Chinese are working on a digital currency, to get rid of the dollar, and they're trading with yep. between the two countries now. Uh, so, you know, they, and they've been importing tons and tons of gold. The gold has been moving from the east to the west. But, Michael, I want to ask you, that our show today is sort of like, um, you know, in this game of chicken that Powell is playing, how much further do you think he will push it? Or do you think that maybe uh, this thing that Yellen is talking about, <laughs> the need to raise rates to keep the U.S. dollar and the treasury markets viable, is maybe part of the reason he's pushing it further than a lot of people thought he would?
3: Well, it, Nouriel Rubini. Uh, He's a fairly Mm -hmm. well-known economist, and I don't always agree with him, but he he was on Bloomberg like a week and a half ago. And Mm -hmm. he's basically – he espoused the same thing we've said, and that is that this is not just another 2007-2009 bear market. This is a disaster Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of what has preceded it, the errors Mm -hmm. that were compounded. Um, And he added something else that we don't try to get into, but we've mentioned, and that is the political divide. And uh, mm-hmm. I won't get on either side here, okay? Frankly, mm-hmm. I'm a libertarian, so I couldn't care less on either side. Right. But, um, the divide is never. Have we seen a divide like this before? There's not going to be agreement. There's no way this there could be an outcome that is calming, and maybe not even an outcome that's peaceful. And Rubini hit on that. He said that you'll notice in the world today, even in major countries, the political divide is getting radical. Mm-hmm. It's no longer moderates are in play. It's always like extreme, like what just happened in Brazil, right? You had a, a Trump like president get kicked out by a guy who's a communist. Okay. So there wasn't a middle ground there it was mm-hmm. either or, uh, and, and that's, uh, I think what we're seeing here is a divide that will not reconcile itself. And
2: yeah, that's it's hard a variable to see. That's
3: not, that's not booked into the market.
2: Yeah, that's very hard to factor that in, and um, I don't know how you, how you do that. Uh, yeah, I guess you just have to be prepared as best you can be. I would certainly think you want to keep out of debt. That's something people should have been trying to do for a long time. But, you know, Michael, the middle class is having to go back on their credit cards now because they can't make ends meet, and you just yeah. have to wonder how much longer this game of chicken can go on. Uh, David Stockman said on this show some time ago, and he was really sort of surprised me, when he said Powell isn't going to... Uh, isn't going to back down anytime soon because they're really afraid of this inflation thing uh, and the masses coming after him with torches and pitchforks is the way David put it. So, I think it's, uh, that
3: pictures might even be literally true <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> at hope some not. point uh, because yeah. a lot of mainstream economists have, have turned on the Fed and said, hey, you've gone too far, boy. Yeah. Uh, you've created a disaster. Uh, it's not working. Uh, and as long as Powell keeps his chin up like uh, – He's in charge of something, and he's always been wrong, by the way. I, I saw some quotes from him mm-hmm. over the past several years in mm-hmm. the historical context. And every, every time he utters a, an outlook, it's wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. so uh, Anyway, not that it matters well, is... why we have a Fed in the first place, I don't know. But... Uh,
2: it, it, well, I think I do know. I, I I think the Fed helps to um, helps the game of uh, of empire. You know, it helps to fund it. But yeah. anyway, uh, yeah. no. Michael, just uh, with just two minutes left, I want to, a couple more things I want to ask you about. I suppose fertilizer might go along with food. Fertilizer stocks, mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. 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 I know. I know you track some. Yeah.
3: Well, we well, we suggested buying those back in late 2020, so yes. they've gone up meteoric. So it's not. I'll have to caution people. If you chase Mm -hmm. oil, energy, um, and especially fertilizer stocks, Mm -hmm. uh, which have had ballistic moves since we put out our buy signal, you're coming in awfully late. And so Mm -hmm. the risk-reward has really changed Mm -hmm. where, yeah, they may go higher, especially as the crisis worsens, but you're not entering at an optimal place. Mm -hmm. Now, I I think that may be the opposite now in the case of silver and gold. They've had a good pullback. They've wasted two years. They're not hot, upside hot, uh, mm-hmm. and therefore, I think you buy the basement here. And mm-hmm. I think silver was in that status uh, laboring under $20 for the last several months, mm-hmm. sideways. I think a lot of major investors said, I'm buying it. They didn't care whether it was turning up right then. They just said, I'm in, because it's not going to go lower. And therefore, they were they yeah. so there's view markets that way. So, Fertilizers can go higher, but I think they're high risk, less reward. Right. Same, with, right. well, Michael, same with the energy
2: sector. Uh, yeah, sure, understood. Uh, uh, Michael, you know, some analysts are suggesting that maybe it might not be a bad time to buy some TLT. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it depends if you don't think the world is going literally going to hell. Uh, if you think it is and if you just take, it, take a really dire position and interest rates could go to – 20% or higher, then maybe that's not a good idea. But the uh, idea is that we're going to be in a recession in 2023, and interest rates mm-hmm. might not go much higher, and you're gonna get that three,
3: 4%. Yeah, there's risk though, and I think the risk is that you get spiked. In mm-hmm. other words, that it gets out of control to the point where, with that thought in mind, if you enter here, yeah, uh, maybe in six months you'll gain money, but it, between now and then they might spike you so badly on the downside in a crisis yeah. type situation and right. that's the kind of event that's the kind of event that would cause the Fed to basically collapse Yeah, in terms of their right. policy direction and maybe right. we need that
2: yeah. maybe yeah. we need that yeah maybe it's <laughs> forthcoming uh, you know uh, yeah. nature has a way of, of taking care of itself when you excesses are not permitted beyond certain limits uh,
3: right. there um, is things break down there. Yeah.
2: there is a reality even if uh, people don't want to face it Uh, we try to help people do the best uh, we can to help people realize that things are not always honky-dory and we want to try to prepare as best we can there's nobody that does a better job than you michael helping us in that regard so thank you very much once again for being with us thanks jay all righty folks we do have to go to break but don't go away because i'm going to have doug nolan with me uh he is with McIlvany wealth management he'll uh, give us his ideas uh, he's actually in uh, ahead of the tactical short strategy for McIlvaney Wealth Management. So we'll find out what he's shorting and, and how he's playing this market. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Doug Nolan. <music>
0: Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And I'm really pleased to have Doug Nolan with me once again. Uh, Doug has been not all that frequent with us, but uh, so maybe I should just let those of you who may not be familiar with him know something about him. He is currently the Portfolio Manager for the Tactical Short Strategy at McIlvaney Wealth Management. And previously, he uh, served as Senior Vice President Portfolio Manager, Manager at Federated Equity Management Company overseeing the prudent bear fund where he worked uh, for quite a few years before that with David Tice, David uh, Tyson associates who managed uh, who uh, ran the prudent bear fund uh, and I've learned to know Doug over the years as a very honest straight shooting um, very very smart guy who's uh, in the really gets in the weeds I would say which is necessary he really uh, pays a lot of attention to detail and puts out a very uh, prolific weekly well, I'm familiar very much uh, with his credit bulletin uh, that he puts out weekly. I think maybe even more frequently than that. Uh, and I would suggest, uh, I believe it's a free of charge uh, publication that you can get on your uh, on your uh, on the internet. It's at uh, just go to creditbulletin.blogspot.com, I believe. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for joining me today.
4: Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me back. It's
2: Appreciate really good it. to have you. And I wonder uh, that credit. Bulletin.blogspot.com, uh, where you, you you write so frequently. I am I, used to looking at it occasionally on weekends, but it looks like you do more than that. Like you're within the week, you write some things too. Is that right? Almost daily. Well,
4: you know what I try to do, Jay, is during the week. Uh, I have a day job, a demanding day job. I just yeah. uh, try to have important links for people that they can come mm-hmm. and and see important important news stories. Uh, and I do that at uh, creditbubblebulletin.blogspot.com uh, and also at the mwm.com, uh, uh, our uh, McElwain Wealth website. Yeah. But mainly I post on uh, really late uh, late Friday nights into early uh, Saturday morning is when I post my <laughs> weekly piece.
2: You work very hard, no doubt about it. And uh, it's, there's a lot of great stuff there if you want to sort of – get a summary of what took place during the week I would suggest that's a great place to go um, you know Doug I'd like to start out by asking you this is a question Adam Taggart frequently asks his guests uh, when he starts interviews with him I, I, I really come to enjoy Adam Taggart's wealthy on uh, he has a lot of really great guests on there and and he always asks him, what's your assessment of today's economy and financial markets so sort of a big uh, you know 30,000 foot up question uh, what, what are just sort of an overview of what how you see uh, the, the markets uh, these days and, and the economy?
4: Sure, Jay. Um, yeah, my assessment here, the economy and markets, and let's start big picture, as you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, top-down macro.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
4: started my blog, uh, it's been some 24 years ago, the years fly by. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> and I titled it the Credit Bubble Bulletin because I was convinced back then that uh, there were momentous changes in finance and policymaking that were fueling dangerous bubbles. And you know, early on, I guess I was naive. I, <laughs> I thought the Fed, once they came to understand the nature of unfettered non-bank credit and leverage this new financial structure, uh, and I referred to it as Wall Street finance, you know, our central bank, would uh, they would move to rein things in. It was highly unstable finance. Well, I was dead wrong on this. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of decades now in the Fed and global central bank community. You know, they've gone to, you know, previously unimaginable extremes to support and backstop and bail out this new financial structure. If you think about it, you know, zero rates for years and tens of trillions of QE, you know, all the money printing. And they repeatedly bailed out the markets, re-energized bubbles. So my big picture is, you know, the result has been, the greatest bubble in human history i know it sounds hyperbole
0: mm-hmm. but
4: you know I've, I've done my best over the years to study history there's been nothing comparable this bubble went to the heart of money and credit central bank credit government debt it went global there's no new bigger bubble coming uh years of excess bubble um bubble excess you know it deeply distorted structure and that's the financial structure the market structure and has left us with this deeply maladjusted economic structure. So my assessment, unfortunately, is quite negative, and I often say I, I, I hope I'm, I'm dead wrong on this. But as an analyst of, of credit and bubbles, I'm certain of one thing. Uh, they inevitably burst. Uh, the bigger they are, uh, the more destabilizing their collapse is, and that's for the markets, for the economy, for societies, uh, and while you know we're early in the busting process, the bursting process here in the U.S., and uh, actually things are much further along in China. And I spend a lot of time following Chinese developments. You know, it's one of history's greatest speculative bubbles, and it's it's just collapsing. And the world's never experienced anything like China's apartment bubble. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, we see the real estate developers and these are these are huge companies with with trillions of liabilities and they're collapsing. So this is going to have, you know, major financial, economic and I fear geopolitical ramifications as far as the U.S. economy so far. um, It's been generally resilient. Uh, You know, markets have suffered this year, bonds and stocks. uh, But and this doesn't get enough attention, Jay, system credit growth. Has remained strong, and this is really important mm-hmm. um, because this strong credit growth has supported economic activity. But it's also been inflationary, and and there are cracks developing. But so far, the credit bubble here in the U.S. is ongoing, and I believe you know the record bank lending. It, uh, I don't think it's sustainable, and so I'm quite negative on U.S. market and economic prospects, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, that's unfortunate, is right. But uh, it, it seems as though we were talking to my first guest a moment ago about there are limits to everything. You know, I mean, that's it's like, uh, I think Ray Dalio has picked up on this very well that, that in fact, uh, we can't keep pushing the can down the road, kicking the can down the road. Um, that he, his sense is that we've gotten to the point where. Uh, we just can't, you know, the system itself can't withstand uh, more and more of this. Are you, you see it that way that we might have some sort of a major reset?
4: Yes, I do. And I I mentioned that this bubble, it went global. It went to the heart of money and credit. Um, we've had these bubbles over the years. You can go back, you know, you can go way back or you can just go back to the late 90s tech bubble. When it When it collapsed, then we reignited bubble excess into the mortgage finance bubble, which was a bigger bubble. Mm -hmm. And then when that one uh, burst, I started referring to the uh, global government finance bubble. Uh, So we're at the end of the line for places to look for bigger bubbles or new financial instruments. We've gone to the heart of money. We, We included China. In the world, in this bubble, mm-hmm. um, and we're to the point now where you know the money printing is is you know, resuscitated bubbles repeatedly. We're to the point now where this money printing has led to and will continue to lead to a very problematic inflationary environment. So Jay, I I am convinced, and I think it's important analytically that we've ended the previous cycle. We're now starting a new cycle, which will have you know, very different dynamics.
2: I'm wondering, um, China reportedly, uh, from sources that I that I trust, have been importing massive amounts of gold. They are supposedly the largest gold producer in the world, at least had been. Uh, Russia, the same thing, has, has reportedly built up their gold reserves very dramatically over the years. Uh, and just uh, today, I was just reading um, an article talking about how they have now started digital trading uh, excluding the U.S. dollar, that is China and Russia, together. Um, do, you, do you make anything of that? Do you see that as, as, as part of a, a, you know, I mean, I, I think uh, Xi Jinping has, has made no secret of the desire to, uh, you know, to, 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 uh, to lessen the role of the United States dollar in global trade. Um, do, you, do you see that as something on the horizon, a, a, a new currency regime of some kind?
4: Uh, yes, um, it's the old uh, "the enemy of my enemy is my friend," um, and that friendship with or partners without limits between Putin and Xi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the goal there, the the reason these two are coming together is to uh, develop a new global system outside of of U.S. dominance. I think that's clear. They've articulated it. I think some people have been dismissive of it. I think they're less dismissive now. Uh, it's th- that that will be an unfolding story over the coming years and decades. Is is this bipolar world for finance for trade? Uh, unfortunately, also probably for you know uh, hostility and, and conflict. Uh, but uh, I, I think definitely uh, there, there's another system being developed.
2: Uh, are you surprised by? Jay Powell's resolute, uh, his determination to really uh, hold, you know, hold tight on, uh, hold the monetary, hold the monetary system tight, to hold his tight policy. I mean, I think a lot of people figured as soon as things would, the equity market would start to decline, we'd have a new QE. Uh, are you surprised by his sort of resolute standing on this issue?
4: Um. No, not really. Uh, I actually, I I think Powell, when he came in and became chairman, that you know he wanted to change the direction somewhat of the Fed and and, and quit you know bolstering the market so much, etc. He he understood that uh, that was unhealthy. It led to instability. Um, he he let me down. Uh, he let everyone down uh, because he bowed to you know pressure from the markets relatively quickly. He started QE again and. Uh, the summer of 2019, which was a big mistake, and I think this five trillion of pandemic QE was, uh, it's indefensible, it was a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. But I believe he recognizes how dangerous inflation can be, and uh, they have the fear of God in them right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Does that mean, you know, I've, I've said as much, I've written as much, I expect more QE from the Fed. Um, I, I absolutely. When, when the markets get in serious trouble, de-risking, deleveraging, they they're the only buyer of resort, last resort with the liquidity necessary to keep the system from collapsing. But he he also knows that he's got he's got to be serious about this. He's got to make the markets know he's serious. Uh, coming out of the July uh, FOMC meeting, his press conference was viewed as leaning dovish. And that stoked a market rally, and that rally led to a loosening of market conditions, financial mm-hmm. conditions. That works against what the Fed is trying to do. So mm-hmm. I think right now he has resolved. He knows the danger of inflation. He knows that he can't think Wall Street or he, he can't allow the markets to think that he's going to bow to, to instability quickly. Uh, so uh you know, he he's doing what he needs to do so far, and we'll see how long he can you know, he can maintain that resolve.
2: Yeah. Um, he, he, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, you, you have to think that if something breaks very seriously, but I'm, it seems as though from his statements that he sort of believes that uh, being too loose, uh, you know, loosening up and doing, you know, stopping Q uh, tightening uh, too soon uh, could be a bigger problem than tightening too long. I think he more or less said something like that to that effect, because he seems to think we've got the tools, we can jack it up again when the time comes. But do um, you, you, you think that he's his, you know, he doesn't want to crash the economy, but if he does crash the economy, he figures he can always get it get it uh, revved up again. Is that—is that the way you read him?
4: Yes, and that's right, Jay. And he made this important point, he actually made it twice, and, and I thought it was is very interesting. Uh, you know, he, he sees more risk in over-tightening uh, in, in not over tightening and in uh, not tightening enough. So he, his view was, and he articulated it: if they tighten too much, they have the tools; they can back off and they can support the economy and the markets. If they don't tighten enough or reverse tightening early, they risk this very problematic inflation that's, you know, gets to the point where it's very difficult to control. And you know, if I read Powell correctly. He, he understands this risk, uh, and I mentioned the risk of the markets responding to any dovish, dovishness from him uh-huh. or, or uh, Fed officials. So I think he's got a pretty good understanding right now of what he needs to do. Um, I think, though, that he the, the Fed might be lulled into a little bit of complacency here that the markets have come down significantly, but it hasn't led to... Systemic issues and and I think part of this and i've I've touched on this part of this is that we still have you know you know basically outside of 2020 we have record credit growth through the first half of the year uh. you have very strong bank lending, very strong private credit so that has supported the economy uh, you know supported liquidity supported job creation investment uh, so market weakness hasn't had the impact it would have had. Uh, previously be- because of because of uh, the aggressive banks and private credit. I think this is temporary. I don't see the bankers uh, being able to maintain this this uh, level of lending going forward.
2: Well, you have to wonder to what extent the 7% mortgage isn't going to start weighing on the housing market, which is such an important part of our economy. You have to wonder, you know, in unemployment, lags quite a while uh, after tightening takes place. If 2023, uh, what's your outlook for 2023? Do you think we head into a recession next year? Uh, At the same time, what you just mentioned, uh, the resiliency and and credit growth and so forth, that's reason for Powell to keep the brakes on, essentially, it would seem.
4: Right. And, And gee, if I could make any, stress any point here for listeners, there's a lot of nuance here. This is not a normal environment, um, uh-huh. and housing is a great example. Right, We see 7% mortgage rates, and even higher for, for jumbo mortgages, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, we have very minimal inventory out there. Mm-hmm. This isn't like previous cycles. Um, so housing prices haven't really started to come down yet, even though mortgage prices have spiked and a lot of people are priced out of the market. Mm -hmm. Um, we've started to see inventory build a little bit, but I think it's just going to take time. Um, and I, when it comes to housing, I ponder about, you know, how much speculative excess we have out there, how many homes were purchased for Airbnb, second Mm -hmm. vacation homes, Mm -hmm. adjustable rate mortgages, low down payments, I think there's a huge issue unfolding in housing. I think the downturn has begun, but it's just going to take longer than normal, longer than we would expect because of this, you know, inventory issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also had huge institutional buying of homes. That's a big unknown. Do those institutions become sellers or, do, you know, how much longer do they continue to buy? Uh, so I, as far as 2023, I I think the economy does succumb to recession. I think housing uh, is, becomes a, a, a real concern and a concern for you know, sellers, buyers, investors, bankers and the Fed. Uh, the economy weakens, but the economy, like housing, has nuance also, and it's just going to take longer than we would normally expect. Again, financial conditions, my focus. Mm-hmm. Financial conditions have tightened in the markets, but they remain really loose in private credit, in bank lending, et cetera. So this is not not a normal cycle to, to try to analyze.
2: Well, then one wonders how effective the Fed will be in uh, taming inflation then. And and of course, also given the fact that so much of inflation has been caused uh, by supply side considerations, uh, geopolitically related, a lot of them. And uh, you know policies by our administration uh, with respect to this hostility towards hydrocarbons and so forth. Um, do you do you think that in 2023 we'll see some uh, some progress in taming inflation?
4: Well, my own view is that the Fed thought what they would end up doing is just uh, you know raising rates. The markets would tighten, and that would start the you know uh, weakening demand weakening the economy, weakening price pressures, and and they could get through this without you know, a, a real tough tightening cycle. Uh, they now realize that's not the case. Part of it is because credit growth has continued to, to run strong. Uh, a lot of it is the inflation issues are structural, uh, supply issues, and I think they recognize a lot of these issues are not going away any, anytime soon. Globally, uh, climate change, a, a lot of factors out there are pressuring prices higher for this new cycle that that we were not issues at all in the previous cycle. So so it everything points towards the Fed having to hike higher than they would have expected, uh, which increases the risk of a market accident. You know that mm-hmm, tightening sure. till things break, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's really uh, it's really a problematic scenario that's unfolding. I think.
2: Well, you're you manage. Uh, on the short side of the market i I guess, and w- w- how are you handling this
4: <laughs> yes i uh, tactical short what we're trying to do is just be a market hedging vehicle It's separately managed accounts at ania wealth management uh, we're trying to have uh, you know manage risk very carefully, so we're short the market, but we're 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 doing it cautiously mm-hmm. i'm not short individual stocks today I'm I'm short the s and p five hundred for for a few reasons. Uh, I'm not 100 percent short. I'm 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 call it, you know, 78 percent short. So I'm trying to be a hedge without taking the risk uh, because we know there's going to be these big bear market rallies. Yeah. uh, A lot of volatility. Again, this is not a a normal market environment. A lot of nuance in in market analysis also. Yeah,
2: for sure. I mean, there's a lot of funds that have to uh, that have not uh, been fully invested that need to be pretty much fully invested by the end of the year. And I think there's there could be some things that could cause the market uh, to show some, the equity market show some strength. But I have to ask you, with just uh, my engineer says just two minutes, what do you make of the move in gold and silver today? Is it anything anything other than just a, an anomaly?
4: Well, you know, Jay, yeah, I think it's more than an anomaly. Um, I mean, so far this year, we've seen this environment. I think it's part of the new cycle where hard assets are outperforming Financial assets and Uh I think part of this is you know the geopolitical environment central bankers for the previous cycle You know, they they could just focus on on financial markets on stock prices and bond prices. That was their focus Well now with inflation they can't just focus on the markets. They have to focus on inflation. So this is changing dynamics out there so I think Hard assets will continue to to outperform financial assets. But we had a pullback in the precious metals and some of the commodity prices because of dollar strength. I think a lot of hedge funds, speculators got caught on the wrong side of these markets. A day like today makes me think, okay, we see a little dollar weakness. There's a lot of pent up demand. And maybe people that have been waiting to start adding to their metals positions are now starting to do that. That's kind of my read on on the market today and, and the the nice move in the precious metals.
2: Well, it certainly is welcome for those of us that have been long the precious metals, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Doug, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on and spending some time with us and uh, it's mwealth.com, I guess is where people can go really to avail themselves, to learn how they might take advantage of all that you have to offer at McIlvain Wealth Management and um, and and your insights as well into the markets. It's a, Greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, Doug, for being Thanks with so much, day.
4: Jay. And it's MWealthM.com and a, a real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, sir.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. All right, folks, that is it for this week. Uh, don't uh, Next week, we'll have Dr. Quentin Henning. He's going to be joining me as well as Alistair McLeod. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor.